what about lifestyle? Lifestyle is key. And it's so true. You can't out-medicate a lifestyle problem. You can't out-prescribe, out-supplement a lifestyle problem. And in terms of lifestyle problems, you really can't outrun a diet. Diet is the number one and number two, maybe number three component of chronic disease management. It's the same with high blood pressure, just like it is with prediabetes. With high blood pressure, you really want to make sure you keep that weight down, keep a minimal body fat percentage. Exercise is very important. Again, not as important as diet, but it's very, very important. Now, I'm going to go into another area real quick in terms of talking about breathing and lifestyle related issues. Many people will say, Doc, we agree with you. Like you said, there's always been some evidence that breathing has an impact on blood pressure. There are actually a couple of significant fairly well-known programs involving meditation, involving just specific breathing-related management of blood pressure. One of them is Dr. Herbert Benson, a director at Harvard Associated Benson Henry Institute for Mind and Body Medicine. There's a couple of other mind and body medicine programs that have great recommendations, great science behind them, and great evidence recommendations. But here's the thing. Take a look at the science, the literature. We'll cover that in just a minute. What are we talking about? Let's go back and answer the question. You've said device associated blood pressure a couple of times. Respirate is, I think, the leading product in that area. Some people have said, hey, doc, I know, and there's some great, great apps on your iPhone. I've looked at some apps. I haven't found an app. I've used several apps in this space, and I just haven't really found one that had this kind of impact. Let's look a little bit deeper. What is it about breathing that actually helps manage blood pressure? It has to do with what we call sympathetic tone. In other words, that fight or flight principle that creates the tension in those arterioles, those small arteries. Now, there are things that happen with breathing. One is there are pulmonary or lung stretch receptors. There are also cardiac stretch receptors. So when you breathe in and breathe out, these stretch receptors are impacted. What happens next is that goes to your brain and your brain stem signals these processors and decreases the pressure shown by these yellow arrows. Again, it focuses on the sympathetic nervous system. There are two major components to to breathing that have this impact. One is the rate of breathing. And that's what you'll see time and time again with a lot of the meditation related things. Your typical rate of breathing is about 20 per minute. You wanna slow that down to 10 or less. That sounds like a lot. When you first start practicing that, that's gonna feel weird. You're gonna feel a little bit of air hunger as you do that. As you get used to it, you'll get used to it. And you'll probably see some impact on your blood pressure if you're doing that. But there's another component of breathing that this device is really good with that you tend to not see in a lot of the others. And that is what we call a prolonged expiratory phase. You want to decrease the amount of time that you're breathing in and increase the amount of time you're breathing out. Some of the meditation related instructions do actually get into some detail on that and do actually talk about you exhaling with your mouth. There are things in our wiring, our brain that respond to that. Now, for those of you like myself who've been very 
skeptical about this, you're not alone. This was Russell Zunsman, associate professor at Harvard. Most of the studies to support respirate are short, don't have enough numbers, participants aren't carefully controlled, etc. That's his quote. I've had concerns again the first 30 years that I was practicing prevention. And so you can see some of the skepticism that I had when this group called me and asked me to test their device. Some researchers even said, look, the American Health Association needs to rethink it, maybe pump the brakes on this device-guided breathing. And we're going to get into the details. This is what they're talking about. Again, it's that device which helps you measure the number of breathing breaths you're taking per minute. It coaches you on a breath-by-breath perspective. And it also coaches you on the prolonged expiratory phase. Again, a couple of very conservative groups, the American Heart Association and the FDA, cleared it for use and provided a recommendation. Why did they do that? Well, again, as I said before, I looked at this originally, didn't look deeply into device-related stuff, mostly looked at meditation, looked at biofeedback, where I saw real impacts were losing weight and medications. And then these guys called me and I gave it a try. And these are the numbers that I started getting. This was at a time when my blood pressure has always, I've always struggled with it. 120 systolic was a really, really good day. Most of the time I was at 130, low 130s. And again, that was one of the things that always motivated me to keep my weight down. I'd gained five, 10 pounds. I'd gain another five to 10 points on my blood pressure. Now I had a very significant impact. As you can tell, you can tell by my voice patterns and the way I present content. I tend to be very hyper in terms of some details, especially around these areas. The recommendation for Respirate is to use it for five to 10 minutes, four times a week. I was much more of a overachiever in that space. I got my device. I was using it at least twice a day when I woke up when I went to bed for the first couple of weeks, used it a couple more times per day. So I was really getting used to the changes in the way I would breathe. And I found myself very quickly when I'm standing in the kitchen talking with Janice, my wife, changing the way I breathe. So again, I started getting some significant changes in my blood pressure. And guess what? Those have not gone away. So you can tell me, "Mm, maybe uninspired, maybe not great evidence. It's working for me. Now, let's go back and talk about the evidence itself and how the American Heart Association, for example, came up with theirs. So I asked these guys to give me their, what they knew about the information. And this is the way it's set up. The American Heart Association looked at things like, as I said, meditation, yoga, biofeedback, feedback, relaxation therapy, exercise-based things like aerobic and endurance exercise, resistance and isometrics, and uh, non-invasive devices such as acupuncture and device-guided breathing. Here's the way that the American Heart Association and any other practice recommendation standards committee is going to look at evidence. You're going to have class one, which is a big benefit compared to the risk. Class two, still an undeniable benefit compared to risk. Class 2B, which is where a lot of supplements would end up falling, where you can see, yeah, there's a little bit more benefit, but in a lot of studies, not so clear. And then class 3 is just no significant obvious benefit over risk. There's the other component of looking at these. That's the benefit risk ratio at the top. Along the side, you have the classification of the data itself with the most important, the most compelling evidence being multiple populations evaluated with randomized, double-blinded clinical trials, RCTs, randomized clinical trials. That's the best information. The second best information is what we call level B, limited populations evaluated and some randomized clinical trials. 
trials. And then level C is very limited populations, expert opinions, case studies, and things like that. So here you go. Again, I'm giving you the AHA, the American Heart Association evaluation, not mine. And their group, when they looked through all the science said, yes, class one, huge benefit compared to risk, aerobic exercise, level A, multiple populations, randomized clinical trials. So from an aerobic exercise perspective, you got to do that. There's no question whatsoever. Then you get to level B, limited population evaluations, and the class two, significant, undeniable improvement. That's where device-guided breathing comes in. Now, look at all the other things that other people talk about and say, this will really work, and it'll work as good as some silly device-guided thing. Mm, No, not at all. Resistance training, not so much for blood pressure. I think it's great for prediabetes, but it's okay. It's clearly good. There's no question about it for blood pressure. But then you start getting into transcendental meditation, clearly biofeedback, isometric exercises. I still recommend these. There's no question. In anything in the green, yellow, or orange, I would recommend. Class three, just not seeing it. Acupuncture falls there. Relaxation therapies fall there. Other types of meditation and even yoga. I'm not saying don't do yoga. I know I'm going to get a lot of haters. If you're afraid of haters, don't go on YouTube. But I'm just giving you the findings of the American Heart Association statement. And from what I've seen, looking at the science myself, I would agree with the American Heart Association group. Clearly aerobic exercise, resistance exercise, and I would recommend device uh, guided breathing. Yes, I would recommend TM, biofeedback and isometrics, but again, not as much as these other items that we just talked about. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at prevmedhealth.com. To learn more, watch our videos on YouTube at Ford Brewer MD MPH. Thank you very much for your interest.